What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wagner, front and center this hour. Incredible. NVIDIA, the stock pacing for its best day in years, closing in on a trillion dollars in market cap. Shareholders Josh Brown, Bryn Talkington, Jason Sniper with us today to discuss where shares can really go from here. Jim Labenthal along as well. I should also let you know that in a matter of moments, Brad Gerstner is going to join us too to talk about the stunning move, the incredible trade that he has made. Um, and we'll get there in a second. But Josh, you first. I don't know what superlative you want to try and use for this one, um, but go ahead. Uh, one of my big ideas for this year was that we were going to have a full-blown AI bubble. And I said on the air that NVIDIA would probably be the grand marshal of the parade. That looks like uh, it's, it's coming to fruition. I've been in the stock for about eight years. And everything that the bulls on NVIDIA have been talking about quarter after quarter, whether they beat or they missed or this analyst downgraded it or this analyst upgraded it, if you believed in the bigger long-term story, um, which now I think we've got a lot of belief, um, it's, it's, all, it's all coming together. It's not an overnight thing. This has been in the works for a long time. Understand, this is a company that you know, 10 years ago, the analysts covering NVIDIA were video game analysts. And obviously, uh, parallel processing and GPUs uh, becoming the new dominant way that uh, cloud service providers and others would have to build their data centers is now becoming the reality. I think what's shocking people is the speed with which this is now happening. Um, so even though it's been a long time coming, uh, if you believe that only 4% of all of the uh, infrastructure is ready for full-scale AI and that the other 96% has to get converted over the coming decade or two, um, that's where you can say, all right, this is a huge move, but I guess it makes sense in that context. A lot of people don't invest that way and they refuse to uh, look at this as a decade-long story. And so for those people, having a mega cap stock move 30% overnight is bonkers. And so I guess a lot of like what you make of the situation today is a little bit of a Rorschach test. Uh, and, and I think it, it's, it's a, a lens through which a lot of people have to reexamine their belief system and how they look mm -hmm. at equities mm -hmm. in general and how they think about growth investing. So that, that to me is the really big story today. It's exciting. It's terrifying. We, we don't know what the ramifications of uh, large scale AI adoption around the world will mean, but all of this is playing out on the screens in front of us. Yeah, Bryn, your screen as well. As I said, you own the stock and we spoke yesterday before the number, which you were enthusiastic and optimistic about, and then wow. Yeah, I said yesterday, I think this stock is under-owned. And boy, did we find out what that meant. Because having this type of a move on a company that 
was $750 billion at the close yesterday, and now it's close to a trillion. I don't think I've ever seen that. And so I think it goes to the fact that this stock was so underowned. I mean, listen to the earnings call. To me, the two phrases that really came together that everyone will need to educate themselves on is accelerating, accelerated computing and generative AI. And really what Jensen was saying is that essentially these data, data centers with this accelerated computers using now generative AI, these data centers have to be revamped. And they're going to get revamped with NVIDIA. And so I think that we had a massive pull forward. And so I think for me to believe that all of AI, which I think we're in the first or second inning, but I feel this stock is pulling forward so much future potential that mm -hmm. that definitely makes me nervous because you would have to think that their earnings and revenues now literally took a level up and are going to continue at a higher trajectory for, for, for multiple years. And so we'll see if that plays out. It's a right. great day for investors, though, for sure. Yeah, I, I, you as well, uh, Jason yep. Stipe. I mean, going into the print on closing bell yesterday, um, it was at 300 even. Yeah. And then you look up and it's at near 400. Yep. And you're near trillion dollars in market cap. No chip stock has ever been a trillion dollar market cap company. 100%. But what do you do if you own it? You were already getting a little nervous about, you know, being in sort of rarefied air, right. so to speak. Are you tempted to take some chips off the table? Pardon so, the pun or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I think, listen, it's always prudent when a stock moves as much as it's already had. It's up 160 plus percent year to date, right? Um, data center was really, really strong. They added 200 billion in market cap yesterday. Um, so for me, when you see a name like that that's moved so much, you know, I think it is prudent to take something off the table. But however, you know, when I look at the upside going forward for this type of stock and what they're doing, and they own 90% of the market share as it relates to the generative AI business, that won't always be maintained. ASPs were extremely high. There, there'll be probably some price pressure going forward. But I do think this is a name to hold. You don't trade too much. You hold it, you own it, and let it ride. And then there's, you know, the, the missing out factor, which, look, let's be honest, Jim, a lot of investors have missed out. Yeah. They were not positioned for the kind of move that we were going to see in AI-related stocks to start the year. Lots of people were off sides. Um, what do you do? What do you do if you're not in the name and you're watching this parade go on? Yeah. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. And you're right. I have sat out. First off, congratulations, Jason. Congratulations, Bryn. Josh, I don't even have words to congratulate you. This has been your name for years. You've blown it out of the water. This is amazing beyond words. Okay, for me, what do you do now? This reminds me of 12 years ago with Apple. Didn't own Apple at the time. It had gone up 8x over a few years, and I got in. And it was painful at the time. It didn't feel good. Now you look back over those last 12 years, and Josh, you're exactly right. You're darn right. This is a decade story. You got to own this stock, Scott. I haven't owned it. You got to own it. Now, what do you do today? I'm not going to buy it today. This is a little, little bit of a big, big jump to buy it. But on any dip, and I'm not going to be holding out for long, I got to start building the position. If you don't own the shares, just take your time and start building the positions. Don't dive in right now with everything, but you got to own See, this stock. I love this tweet today from somebody that we follow on, on Twitter, Mark Dow, um, who puts forth this thought that I think you'll, you'll want to opine on. Waiting for the quote-unquote right valuations leaves people behind at the bottom of every cycle. Mm. And the market never gives them the valuations they need to get back in. 
I've seen it time and time again. Valuation is where supply meets demand. It's not a number preordained by history, right? Because what you hear in instances like this is the valuation. I can't get my arms around it. It was already crazy. Now the stock is up another hundred bucks. It's pushing trillion dollars in market cap. Valuation's prohibitive to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. This um, suggests mm-hmm. that, you know, as Josh said at the very top, you kind of need to rethink perhaps the way you think about equities. Totally and I want agree your, with Josh. I want your perspective on that. I totally agree with Josh. He said it well. You just rephrased it. I, I agree with both of you. Uh, and that tweet was very well worded. And what I said a minute ago, you didn't hear me say valuation, but you have in the past. You have heard right. me say, I can't get my arms around the valuation. Too bad. Doesn't matter. The, the paradigm has shifted. These sort of operational results command respect, and it gets my respect. Now, I do. It's a little hard to buy it today. I hope nobody's going to hold my feet to the fire. Look, if for tomorrow it's the same price and I'm and I'm nibbling my way in, then fine. But boy, this is one hell of a big move. I'm going to just just going to pause for a second here. Yeah. But I am. Josh said it well, and I'm with him. Let, let's bring in another uh, very very well known investor, somebody who absolutely nailed this trade. Altimeter founder uh, and CEO Brad Gerstner joins us now. It, it's great to see you. I'm so glad you're with us today because it was. You know, February 2nd, you were last with us and said you started buying it in December and you added to it in January. And oh, my goodness, here we are. You know, if you use the average December price from, let's say, yesterday uh, to yesterday or even today, it's up 145 percent through today. What, What do you have to say? Well, Scott, we've been talking about it on your program for six months anyway. Josh has been talking about it for years. Um, that we have one of the most significant uh, technical technology disruptions of our lifetime, probably bigger than the internet itself, called artificial intelligence. And there are two components of AI. One is compute and the second is data. And the compute layer today um, is dominated by NVIDIA and their GPU stack, which is not just silicon. It's an increasing sophisticated stack of software and models that drive AI for the enterprise, uh, that drive AI training for uh, consumer applications, et cetera. And as you heard last night from Jensen, um, the thing that most people focus on is how much the stock is up today. But believe it or not, based upon the earning revisions today, the stock is cheaper today on both revenue and earnings, materially cheaper than it was yesterday. Um, And so it's one of our biggest positions. It has been since December. Um, We're not doing anything with it today. This is going to be one of the primitives that drives AI in the same way we think about the primitives that drove the Internet itself. I feel like you're one of the the real thought leaders, Brad, of, of, you know, sort of the investing game. So for those and somebody like Jim, and there are many Jims out there who didn't own it, don't own it. And now we're wondering, man, I mean, what am I supposed to do now with a stock that is obviously going to be one of those incredible names as this AI transformative explosion happens? What, what do you tell people to do on a day like this? Well, I love Jim's humility and, you know, whether you're playing professionally or playing at home, one of the most difficult things about the investment game is behavioral lock-in right, is making a decision today based upon a failure or a success yesterday. And every day you have to take a first principles approach. You have to take a bottoms up view 
with all the new knowledge that you now possess as to what you should do today. So as we sit here today, um, you know, there are just some significant things I think that you have to take into account. Number one, at the start of the year, the consensus estimate among all the world's best sell side analysts on NVIDIA was that it was going to have negative data center growth in Q1 and zero to 10% data center growth for the year. As of yesterday, the company has told us it's going to be closer to 90 or 100% growth. So if you're playing at home, don't feel bad. The people who get paid to do this for a living on January 1st thought that it was going to have negative data center growth. So we're early in this AI transition. Um, the company is clearly repriced, but knowing what we now know, the price that the company had on January 1st made no sense. The price in December made no sense, as I came on your show and said in December and January. So as I look at it today, the stock's trading at, you know, yesterday was trading at roughly 65 times earnings, right? Today it's trading closer to 55 times earnings. Previously it was trading, you know, at something like, uh, you know, 40, uh, 42 times next year, 2025 consensus, or 52 times. Now it's trading at 42 times. So take into account the information today. This is not a fad. AI is not a fad. Every enterprise is going to have to re-architect around this. And what we're seeing in terms of their numbers, I think, is the leading edge of the AI wave. And so start asking yourself, what are the other companies that are going to be beneficiaries? And what are the other companies that are likely to get hurt by the shift from, uh, you know, the world of Internet to the world of augmented intelligence? Just just for transparency's sake, and just, I know you said you're not doing anything today. You're not you're not taking any profits in a position at all. Is, is that correct? So, as you know, Scott, I, I do this for a living. I reserve the right uh, you know, like Stan Druckenmiller, uh, you know, to have an opinion in the morning and if the facts change to do something different in the afternoon. But no, we're not selling uh, any of our position today. Okay. And let, let me also ask you then, um, in terms of, you know, what you're, what you're saying and the upside that you see for, for AI and em embracing the companies that are going to be at the forefront, do you feel like you, you got away from Alphabet too soon? Have you rethought the way you're thinking about all of this now? Well, I, no, we had full information about what we thought was happening in AI. We, as I've said before, I think this is bigger than the internet itself. We've been saying this for years. Um, we're now seeing the leading edge of that in NVIDIA. My concerns about Google were simply that for 20 years, Google owned the verb for search and discovery. We Googled things. Now the verb for search and discovery in the age of AI has become chat GPT. Unfortunately for them, nobody's talking today about BARD. You're not telling your friends, your parents, your grandparents. People are chat GPT. That's become the lexicon in every boardroom and among CEOs. And I think that's a major breach of the distribution moat that Google had. But make no mistake about it. Google is filled with incredible people, has incredible capabilities when it comes to AI. But the thing that generates 100% of their profits today, which is an open architecture of static web pages that they search and retrieve information from, that is being disrupted in a major way. 
I don't know how quickly that disruption will occur, but they're going to have to backfill with AI as fast as that disruption occurs. Compare that to somebody like NVIDIA. They don't have a dog in the search hunt. Um, you know, so they're a pure play really on what's going on in AI today. So I think there have been some execution errors by, by Google. I think their I.O. day certainly showed off their capabilities, which we knew they had. The real question for Google is culturally and otherwise, right? Why did OpenAI get to market before them? There are many people who left Google to start companies that we've looked at investing in who said we wanted to launch this at Google in 2019, in 2020, in 2021, but for a variety of cultural and other reasons, we're unable to launch the products inside of Google. And I think that was a big mistake. But, you know, listen, in order to have, uh, you know, a, a healthy technology ecosystem evolving toward augmented intelligence, we need competition. You know, I hope Google gets its mojo back. And if it does, I reserve the right to buy back into the stock. Mm -hmm. um, but the fact of the matter is that um, I don't think there's any observer in Silicon Valley who would tell you that Google was in the pole position for a decade and got passed like they were standing still by OpenAI. Speaking of observers in Silicon Valley, Jim Breyer yesterday was out at our CEO summit in Santa Barbara and, you know, likened this period of time to the Internet circa 95. I've, I've had some people I've seen today suggest that the, the move you're witnessing in NVIDIA today is like, you know, Cisco or Qualcomm or whoever uh, in 99. Uh, does this kind of activity in these names give you pause uh, and, and make you yourself think about, you know, likening this period to that? But let's talk about the similarities and the differences, right? The internet changed all of our lives forever. There's no business or no human that does things today that doesn't involve, uh, you know, the open web. Um, but what we also know was true in 1997, 98, 99, is we had like 10 or 20 million people on the globe connected to something akin to broad-based internet. It was tiny. What we believed in was the promise, and the promise came to true. It just took longer than the people in 1997, 98, 99 believed at the time. What's so different about this moment is we have billions of people connected, you know, via supercomputers in their pocket to a high-speed internet, right? And so the cycle time on innovation, the reason you're seeing the line, you know, steepen the way it is, is because when you have adoption of new technologies, they, it occurs much faster because you have ubiquity both enterprises and consumers can get to that new technology faster. In 2000 and 2001, we were still just laying down the rails of the internet. We had to get people online. That was a very different moment in time. And remember, most of those companies were burning tremendous amounts of money, weren't making money. Take a company like NVIDIA, take a company like Google or Facebook. Sure, we've had moves off of what have been historic lows because we had a tech wreck in 22. But those moves seem like they're big moves, but these companies are generating massive cash flow and the multiple on these stocks is frankly lower than the multiple on most stocks, consumer stocks, cyclical stocks that exist in the Dow and the S&P 500. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the remarkable things that we've witnessed today beyond Nvidia's own move is the movement from analysts on price targets which have in some cases doubled 
JP Morgan, for example, 250 to 500. Barclays, 275 to 5. There's, you know, one that I saw that was to 600 from 320 at Rosenblatt. Our next guest, and let's bring Stacy Raskon into the mix of this conversation if we could, since we have Brad, and we're fortunate to have Stacy with us too. Um, because Stacy, I spoke with you going into the number, and I, I said, you know, very directly that stocks at 300. That's your price target. We're here. What are yeah. you going to do? Are you going to are you going to move it to neutral? How dumb of that uh, dumb of me to, to suggest that? Um, it's it's interesting. You're asking me to downgrade a stock on live TV. That was sort of an interesting take, but okay. <laughs> well, that happens from time to time. Um, but anyway, what what do you do? with this today. I know you raised your price target to 475 yeah. from that 300, but you've listened to Brad, I think pretty articulately, you know, lay out the road ahead, the road map that he sees. What about you? Well, so remember what I said yesterday was you don't sell a tech stock just because it looks expensive. And it's, if you're owning NVIDIA, what I said is you're believing that it's not as expensive. You're believing that the E in the denominator of the price to forward earnings is wrong. And that's been the case. And that seems to, to clearly be the case. So we could talk about targets. Yeah, we, we took our target up. But I mean, earnings estimates are, went up 50%, 60%, maybe more, right? And, and as Brad so eloquently put it, the, the stock today is cheaper than it was yesterday uh, because of the magnitude of those earnings revisions. And so, yeah, I, I, I think that the, the tactical controversy now, I think you alluded to it a little bit. You were talking, is, is this like, you know, the, the tech bubble in 99 and Cisco and is it pull forward? And you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I don't know yet. I, I certainly for the rest of the year, it doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be holding in, um, seems like a new trajectory. At some point, we will probably get digestions. They happen and, and you know, the stock may react to that. But if you think about where we are on this, we are, and, I, and again, I said this yesterday, we are very early um, in the trends of both AI and accelerated computing. This is really just getting started now. The, the field is wide open in terms of penetration. And if you're looking up five years, 10 years, it's hard to imagine that the numbers in, in that kind of time frame are going to be lower than we're seeing today, even after like the significant uh, increase mm -hmm. in expectations that we saw yesterday. Yeah. Jo Josh Brown, uh, let's get you engaged as well with, with our two guests. Uh, Stacy, I want, and Brad, feel free, of course, to weigh in on this. There is a huge move higher in Taiwan Semi today. And then I looked at the chip equipment stocks just go vertical. Uh, everything from KLA, uh, applied materials. How sustainable are these moves, even if you believe that there's going to be this massive generational retooling of all of the data center architecture to fully embrace the potential for generative AI? Like, should we look at those moves as these are going to fade? Or could this maybe be the opening innings for an upcycle for the entire semi-space? Yeah, you know, it's sort of interesting, right? In, in the near term, this is unlikely, I think, to drive tons of upside in like memory or semi-cap sales. It's the cycles in the near term which are gonna be, I think, bigger drivers of whatever those do than, than, than this. But over the long term, look, these are really big chips. They drive a lot of silicon. They drag a ton of memory along with them. Right. And, and, and it's very, very advanced. You want to get like as, as advanced process technology as you possibly can, because this is one of those applications where performance and power efficiency are critical. And, and importantly, the customers, given where these things are selling, the customers are willing to pay for that stuff. Right. So, yeah, over time, it, it absolutely should drive semicap. It absolutely should drive memory ne near term. You know, it's the cycles that will drive it. But like this is they will be long term beneficiaries of AI penetration as well. Brad, how are you looking at this? 
Well, I, I don't have a lot to add there except to say there's going to be a lot of conversation about the competitive landscape over the course of the next year or two. I was just at an event last week where somebody pitched NVIDIA short on the idea that the MI300, um, that custom silicon, that Infrentia and Trania, um, you know, that Project Triton at Microsoft, that the TPUs at Google, et cetera, were becoming increasingly competitive. And make no mistake about it, if you're a hyperscaler, you have a vested interest in making sure that there is some competition, right, with NVIDIA um, for two reasons. Number one is you can't get as much of this as you need to run your data center build out. And number two, obviously, you don't want one party to have all the pricing power in the world. But I think the mistake here is that Jensen saw this first, moved faster. He's built out an ecosystem around, ecosystem around CUDA, and he's built out these vertical models around these different use cases that collectively drive accelerated compute. And so I think the world is still probably underestimating the level of advantage he has. But I don't think that this is going to be a, uh, a one horse race. There are going to be, it's too big. The market size is a trillion. It, today, this re-architecture from CPUs to GPUs generally or to accelerated compute is gonna play out over the next decade. Um, but from our vantage, there's unlimited demand for NVIDIA, uh, certainly for the next couple of years. We will pay attention as the competitive landscape evolves. I certainly think there are going to be other winners uh, in that landscape, but yes, all markets, right, they overshoot and then they undershoot. The one thing I wanna drive home today is whatever, you know, there is this tendency when you're looking at stocks to anchor yourself on where they started the year. That data point should be irrelevant to you. And it's irrelevant because the, what the world thought at the start of the year is totally untrue. And so you have to take this de novo approach and just say today, is a stock trading at 40 or 45 times earnings that's growing 100%, that has massive incremental margins, that's powering, you know, is, is the dominant primitive, powering the biggest technical disruption of our lifetimes, you know, is that grossly overvalued, right? I mean, we have stocks literally that are growing at five to 10% that are trading at 25 times earnings. So from my vantage, you know, you gotta take all those things into account. There will be competition. Right. The economy is not totally out of the woods. We may have a recession in the back half. We may have a crypto winner, uh, you know, in the future. But to compare this to 1999, you know, for somebody who lived through that period where there was no E, there were no earnings. There were only 20 million people connected to, you know, you know, something we would consider broadband Internet. I mean, it's just a specious compare. You know, you, you've been I pulled you away from from some things today to, to join us, Brad, and I'm gonna let you go, but it would, it would be a miss on my part if I didn't ask you about Snowflake. Just given I'm watching what that stock's doing, our viewers are as well, they want your take on it, and, and, and so do I. Um, what, what do you make of, uh, I mean, cl slowing cloud is not a shocker, I don't think, to anybody, but stock's down near 17% on, on this yes. outlook. What, what do we think here? Well, as I've also said on your show, you know, we took down our software exposure at the start of the year when we rotated dollars into things like, you know, NVIDIA and into Facebook, et cetera. And part of the reason for that was we do have a slowing economy. We did pull forward a lot of digitization and cloud compute, you know, in the middle of COVID. And Snowflake was clearly one of those beneficiaries. And they're seeing that. AWS is seeing that. 
Microsoft has talked about that. So you have to you have to accept that that is the state of the world that CFOs are giving fixed targets to their uh, CTOs and saying you're not going to spend more than 50 million bucks this year. Figure it out. At the same time, the two raw ingredients to all of AI is data and compute. We've been talking about uh, you know Nvidia you know being on the leading edge here. You got to build the computer the the data centers first, and then you use the data. The modern data stack, which includes all the hyperscalers, Snowflake, Databricks, and others, companies like Confluent, et cetera, that are bringing this data, real time and otherwise, into these models. They announced a really important acquisition yesterday, a company called Neva. And why is Neva important? Well, Microsoft the day before talked about something called retrieval augmented LLMs. Okay, so these are the models that drive ChatGPT within the enterprise. And what is a retrieval augmented LLM? That means you have a vector database that goes out, that looks at these documents you have in the company, combines it with the intelligence of the LLM, and then gives you a chat-based answer in the enterprise. It transforms how we discover information in the enterprise. And that's exactly what Neva does. It's a Silicon Valley-based company run by amazing Google veterans, and they had vectorized uh, you know, the data that they had layered that on top of these LLMs to provide really compelling answers. Um, and so I think that combined with their acquisition of Applica, which was really an AI uh, foundation model company focused on deconstructing corporate documents, they're clearly getting ready for this next wave of AI. But we're in this lull around, uh, you know, companies, uh, you know, who are tightening their belts. And so they're going to have to grind through that. They're going to have to execute this prize around building a cloud-based data platform that thousands of enterprises use in order to drive the company forward on the back of AI is a really powerful one. So on their core business, which is cloud data warehouse, analytic workloads, they're early in the penetration cycle of that. And you know the numbers yesterday reflected that. Q1 came in at 50% versus consensus estimates of 45. But the forward look represented the conservatism that they have about what they're seeing in the business and how CFOs are trying to tighten their belt. Mm -hmm. I imagine they're seeing the same things at AWS, et cetera. But if you, you know, if you want to bet on the future of AI, I do believe that understanding it's not just compute, but it's also data. And the modern data stack businesses are also going to be beneficiaries in the years ahead. Yeah, um, we've been kind of fixated on the, the, those pure play, big mega cap names. And I think for obvious reasons, but your points are well made. Thank you again uh, for being with us today. Uh, that's Brad Gerson. Stacy, real quick to you, um, just before I go, and I do have to go, almost 11% for AMD, for example. Is that, yeah. Does that justify it all off of this? I mean, certainly it fuels the narrative, right? The idea that this is going to be big, there's demand, and at least they have, in theory, products that they can sell. I mean, you can look at Intel down six or seven because they're not benefiting from that narrative. They don't have products at this point. I personally don't think AMD is going to see a ton of upside, at least this year, from this. They don't really have, you know, talking about the MI300. When it shows up, it's not till the end of the year into next year anyways. But to the extent that the demand is there, they actually do have products and a roadmap, and then it fuels that narrative. If not necessarily the numbers today, that's probably enough. Yeah. Uh. Fun to talk to you uh, before the number and after, Stacey, and I know oh, we'll yeah. do it again soon. You take Anytime. care. That's Stacey Rascon joining us. Up next, we still have our call of the day, Disney. Hit with a pair of price target cuts. That stock's down 6% in just a week. We do have ownership on the committee. We have a lot of other stocks, stocks to talk about as well, which we'll do 
after this quick break. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Pippa Stevens, and here's your CNBC News update. Net migration to the U.K. hit a record high of 606,000 last year, despite government pledges to reduce the figure. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has previously said he wants to bring net migration to below 500,000, around the level it was when he took office last fall. The Supreme Court dealing a blow to the EPA today, issuing a ruling that limits the agency's ability to police water pollution on some wetlands. In a unanimous ruling, the court said that the Clean Water Act does not automatically apply to all wetlands on private property. An Idaho couple brought the case before the court after federal officials identified a portion of the couple's property as wetlands and required them to get a permit before building. And the head of Russian private army group Wagner saying today that his forces are handing over control of Bakhmut to the Russian military. This comes days after he said Wagner troops had captured the Ukrainian city. Wagner's owner said the handover will be completed by June 1. There was no immediate comment from the Russian defense ministry. Scott, back to you. All right, Pippa. Thank you. That's Pippa Stevens. Been a rough stretch, say the least, for Disney. Shares down 6% over the past week alone. Down again today, you have two firms cutting their price targets. So, Jimmy, I mean, this stock has just been a dog. What's, what, what are you thinking about it here? It's, it's 30% off of its 52-week high. I mentioned the week. I mean, it's down 10% in a month, 6% in a week. I, mean, I could go on, but you already know. Yeah, so uh, Bob Iger obviously took over about six months ago, and he changed – he threw the rudder over, right? He changed the course. He said, we're going to control costs. We're going to get costs under control. Uh, he started to do that. It takes a little time for the ship to actually turn in that direction. At the same time, Scott, as you well know, he's got some strategic initiatives that he's got to take care of. What is he going to do with ESPN? What is he going to do with Hulu? Now, those things are likely to be resolved over the next couple of quarters as the cost cutting takes hold. And underneath all of this, what you've got is some pretty good throw weight in terms of the subscriber, subscriber count that they have right now. Theme parks going gangbusters. Studios doing well, no matter how tired any of us are of Marvel. You know, those continue to spit out multi-hundred million dollar box office takes. So there is good businesses underneath all this. I want to say one last thing. Please. Okay. If you look at facts and earnings estimates, long-term growth estimates for the earnings per share right now, 24%. Now, maybe that's high. Maybe it's low. I don't know. That's, you know, long-term estimates. Trading right now at this year's earnings 22 times gives you a peg ratio below 1.0 for a pretty good brand. So I'm not happy about the price decline, but I think there are better days ahead. You sold it, Jason Snipe, a couple of years ago. I, had, I think people I know did. you're in Netflix now. Yep. You made a decision to get out of, of one and get into the other. 100%. And for me, it was just the, the pure play. I like I like. Uh, what Netflix doesn't. Guess what? I mean, if I'm thinking about what they've recently done in monetizing the existing base, you know, password sharing, 
they're figuring that out. $7.99 a clip per person to figure that out. Uh, the ad-supported tier is working. They added 5 million new subs you know, in the last quarter. So I think Netflix also has opportunity overseas, you know, and, and free cash flow is starting to grow again. So I just like this business better than I like Disney right now. All right. Um, straight ahead, we have a bullish call today out on a housing stock, and those stocks have done quite well this year. Josh Brown owns some, uh, owns some names in this group as well, and we'll trade them coming up. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started. We're back. Shares of Toll Brothers hitting a new 52-week high today after a bullish call from RBC. Those gains adding to a year where a number of home builder stocks have more than doubled the return of the S&P 500. Take a look at these gains uh, right there. It's been pretty, pretty darn good. Josh Brown, you don't have Toll, uh, but you do have Invitation Homes, and you have noted this housing trade. It's one of the reasons, for that matter, why discretionary stocks are discretionary is the third best sector of the year and doesn't get much, much play. Yeah, what's really interesting is that if, if at the beginning of the year or the beginning of 2022, I would have told you the Fed was about to embark on one of its most severe tightening cycles ever, we would put on 550 basis points worth of rate hikes inside of 18 months. You would have predicted a pretty dire situation for the home builders, but actually the opposite has taken place because we just don't have enough homes in this country. There are uh, 75 million millennials. You've got Gen Z now in the work force, uh, and they'll be right behind them. And we're not building. The inventories are still, you can still count housing inventories nationally in months, not years. And that, I think, is why these stocks have defied what most people would have thought would have been their death knell, significantly higher mortgage costs. Take a look at A.O. Smith and Invitation Homes. These are the two ways that I'm playing what I think is a secular trend toward more building. And A.O. Smith is a very simple story. Dividend aristocrat, uh, they raise dividend every year for 25 years or whatever the number is. Over the last 10 years, the stock is up 300%. The dividend is up 400%. This is hot water boilers. Every new home that Toll Brothers builds needs one. A.O. Smith has massive market share, will not be dislodged, and about 70% of their business is just replacement cost. So that's one. Put that aside. The other one, Invitation Homes, I'm even more bullish on. This is a REIT, but this is rental single-family homes, not apartment buildings. They own 80,000 standalone homes in the most desirable neighborhoods in America. A lot of people are being priced out of areas where the Toll Brothers and such are building, and Invitation becomes a much better option for them if they want to have a house and not live in a building. So these are long-term plays for me. I own both. I like both right here. Yeah, Jimmy, I mean, by the way, you, you have uh, Camden Property, which is an apartment REIT too, right? Yeah. 
and, and should face the same upward pressure for what Josh just mentioned. Bottom line, and he said it, we don't have enough homes. I mean, that's a problem. Um, and it's, there's going to be upward demand on homes, whether they're uh, being bought, but whether they're being equipped, whether they're being decorated, whether they're being rented. So Camden Property, Innovation, innovation Homes, uh, Home Depot, Sherwin-Williams, these all should perform over the coming years. All right, up next, Santoli has his midday word. We'll be right back. Welcome back, senior markets commentator Mike Santoli right here at Post 9 with us for his midday word. So if, if we thought NVIDIA was either going to throw water, cold water on the, this trade at this moment yeah. or confirm it, I think it's obvious what, what's happened to this yes. point. The question is, where do you, what happens now? It's confirmed it, but it's a really narrow channel of where this money is running through. And so you still have the same situation where, you know, it's a bellwether for only other you know, acclaimed AI plays and not for the overall market of the economy. And so the internal bleeding continues. Uh, and that's what's gone on with the, with the market. It's not really a, certainly not a panic, not like a liquidation. It's a annoyance and impatience, I think, with the overhang of issues. So, you know, the equal weighted S&P, we keep referring to it. It's negative year to date. It's down below where it closed the first quarter, which is not some kind of big negative trigger, but it's just a little bit of a of a picture of where we are relative to the uh, the market cap. Weight. I mean, it just it, it it only to your point makes the top heavy nature of yeah. the market even more so. Sure. So you're going to have the same critics of that say, now this is getting absolutely ridiculous. Nothing gets resolved. Um, I still question, like, what exactly is your objection to this? <laughs> is it that the index doesn't give a perfectly, you know, um, high fidelity picture of what every stock is experiencing? Well, granted, yes, that's true. And that's what's going on. But the macro slowdown story, or at least the, uh, the, the kind of earnings hiccup story, I think has been pretty well absorbed at this point. Very interesting. B of A kind of saying lifting earnings estimates and saying that the uh, we bottomed out in revisions. And, and so it's not as if everything's falling apart. It's just that most of the market uh, finds no uh, compelling buyers at this level just with the macro overhead. Which is why, to Marco Kalanovic's point at J.P. Morgan, the risk reward, he says, for equities is poor given yeah. elevated risk of recession, valuations, high rates, and tightening liquidity. They raised their cash allocation. Been saying that. Yeah, yes, um, he has. Raised the cash allocation. And I do think there's a lot of what's going on right now is people feel prudent and smart for collecting 5% in cash. And, you know, there's a certain cohort that that's going to be good enough for them. Uh, or you could have bought the spy and be up, you know, nine percent. All right, in four yeah. months. I'll see you in know. a couple hours. So. On closing bell, that's Mike Santoli. Grade my trade is coming up next. All right, let's do grade my trade. Uh, Jimmy, you're up first, okay? From Tim Matthews in Texas. By the way, ahead of this Memorial Day weekend, Tim was a, is a retired major in the Army, field artillery officer for 32 years. Uh, thank you for your question. Uh, we certainly salute you, uh, salute your service as well. Jimmy wants to know about the defense ETF, the ITA. Came in at 99 bucks. I've been buying every month, looking out long term for my kids, uh, says Tim. Yeah, Tim, again, thank you for your service. Uh, I think this is a B-plus right now, and your grade is going to continually be upgraded the more you pursue this. This stock, this ETF, has been flat for the last seven months, and a lot of that has to do with the debt ceiling overhang and the concept that, concept that maybe we're going to cut defense spending. Guess what? That ain't going to happen. Okay, over the next several years, defense spending here in the U.S. and globally is going to go up. That's just the world we're living in. You know it. I know it. Once again, thank you for your service, and go Navy. 
Okay. Uh, uh, Bryn, uh, Devin Energy uh, from Tom. I bought it at 62 through dividends and selling covered calls. I've been able to bring down my cost to 51.25. Should I hold, sell, or continue to do what I've been doing? Great way to manage down and roll down your calls. I'll give you an A, first of all. Continue to do what you're doing. I think energy is going to be weak right now with in the short term with China. We've got Russia, and we don't know what's going on with the debt ceiling. But throughout the summer, energy is going to get stronger. I think the back half of the year could be a really upside surprise for energy. So keep selling calls, and great job. All right, real quick, Jason, Doug, CVS, bought it at 73 bucks. What do I do? Oh, man, CVS, price action has been really rough this year. It's down 27%. Uh, still trading. It's trading at seven times earnings. I think Oak Street and the Signify uh, deal of increased costs for the name, I would, I would hold it here because I think there's an upside going forward. Okay, final trades are next. I hope you'll join me at 3 o'clock. We have Mark Lazary on, the Avenue Capital Chairman and CEO, and he's bringing a special guest with him, too. I'm not going to tell you who it is. It may have something to do with the Milwaukee Bucks. I'm just going to say that. So I hope you'll join me there. Joe Terranova, Anka Crawford's with us, Stephanie Link as well. I uh, can't wait for that show. All right, let's do final trades. Bryn, you go first. Keep in money markets. No reason to put a new trade on before the long weekend. Maybe get some fireworks with the debt ceiling. Keep some powder dry for next week's fireworks. Okay, Josh Brown. Uh, happy new 52-week high to CrowdStrike. Earnings coming up in a few days. Yeah, we'll be looking forward to that one. All right, thank you. Uh, Farmer Jim. Thermo Fisher, high-quality healthcare company. It's been consolidating for a while. This is a good entry point. Okay, talked about that uh, yesterday with Kerry, I think it was. Jason Snipe. I like CRM heading into earnings next week. I think there's some strength, some continued acceleration in operational margin. We'll see it in the quarter. Might hear a little something about AI. I we think Make so. that bet. Just a little bit. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, we'll see. All right, everybody, I'll see you on Closing Bell. That does it for us. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report Disclaimer. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 